Yes, Venture, it's great to see you here today. And those of you who are joining us online, as Jake mentioned, this is going to pop up in the chat feature online if you want to track along with this card as well. Those of you who are in the room, maybe you are a first-time guest here today. That great. We are glad you're here. We're going to talk about the value of community today. There's no better way to get connected into the life of a local church, in my opinion, than the action step we're giving you today. I want to invite everyone to fill this out. And uh, again, like Jake said, you're going to start on the front page. You're going to stop just shy of the bottom left-hand corner of the front page of this card. We want everybody to do this, and I don't know if that, how that flowed in the room, but I know we still have some ushers back there. But uh, if you are an usher, would you do me a favor and let them stick their hands up again? If you uh, did not get one of these, I'm going to try to talk everybody into filling this out. I see some hands still here, so let's do another round of that. Come and bring them one of these cards, please. Stick your hand up in the air, make sure they see that, and let's get those distributed. All right. I think there was an issue with the TV. Is it on? Yeah. Hey, the TV's on now. Okay, so let's catch up what uh, Jake was just uh, kind of introing. This is week two of our Becoming Us series. Yeah, I see some hands right over here, guys, if you want to come up that way as well. Um, Last week, we talked about vision, and this is where we're going as a church. We talked about our vision statement. We seek Jesus. We seek to see you well. This is our vision statement here at Venture. Uh, This week, we're talking about the power of community. That's what these cards are all about. I want to unapologetically today talk you into maybe taking a bit of a risk, stepping out just a little bit into a space maybe that you're just a little bit uncomfortable with, but oh my goodness, could God use it in some amazing ways to connect you? This is who we are, our community. Next week, we're going to talk about the power of our future. This is who we're becoming. We're going to dial in, talk about next-gen ministry, what's going on there. Then the the fourth week and last week of the series, we're going to be talking about our mission. This is what we're doing. Roll up your sleeves. Let's go there. Today is all about the power of who we are. And I would encourage you to go ahead and fill out that front side, stop bottom left corner. I'll walk you through the back side of this card when this, uh, at the end of the sermon. I want to share with you a story. When I I sat down to write this sermon a couple of weeks ago, I was reading through a a section of a book that I I read years ago when it first came out, but I'm rereading it right now because our whole elder team is reading this book together. Some of you have read this book. I think we've done this in some small small group studies here at Venture. Raise your hand if you've read through the book called Messy Grace. Any of you have read that? I see some hands in the back. Yeah, this is a great read. I would recommend it to any of us. The subtitle or kind of the heading on this book, get this, this this says a lot. How a pastor, Caleb Colton Bach, I've met him, I've spent some time with him, great guy, a pastor, a leader in the local church. How a pastor with gay parents. Let me explain that real quick. Caleb was born the traditional way. He had a mom and a dad, bio mom, bio dad. They, were, they divorced when he was very little. I think he doesn't even remember them being together. His mom is gay and has a life partner, and so he was raised by two moms. His dad didn't share that news with the world until Caleb was a little bit older, but now his dad is living that lifestyle as well, so now he has two moms and two dads. He's a pastor, 
leads in our churches, the independent Christian churches. The rest of the subtitle, how a pastor with gay parents learned to love others without sacrificing conviction. Caleb tells even a painful story in this book about how as a child, he wasn't all that attracted to the church. He wasn't all that attracted to Jesus because of church people. Because his parents were doing these things like taking him along to gay pride uh, parades and things like that. And he saw firsthand, experienced firsthand, Christians not being very Christ-like. He tells a painful story in this book about a, a gentleman that he became friends with, one of his parents' friends in the 80s. Dying of AIDS. He was there in the, the final hours of days, maybe, of this man's life, and he walked in. The Christian family was there, but they weren't even interacting with their loved one who was dying and weren't interacting with he and his parents because of who they were and what they represented. There's some painful baggage there toward the church. That's not the point of why I share this story with you. Skip ahead a few years. In his teenage years, we celebrated a baptism this morning, a young man named Bannon. I was so excited to see that and what God is doing in his life. This happened to Caleb as a teenager. He tells this story about how as a teen he was not a fan of the church. He wasn't a fan. He didn't think he was a fan of Jesus. So he went into this, what he called ninja Christian mode. You know what a ninja is, kind of in the black of night, sneaking in to wreak havoc. He was seeking to do this in the church so he could learn a little bit more about what the church it was so he could attack it. He was invited to this Bible study. And he tells kind of a funny story. The first night he's there, he'd taken his dad. His dad was a college professor. He took this Bible off the shelf, cracked the spine. It hadn't really been opened. And he shows up, and they were studying out of 2 Corinthians. Now, you're not a Jesus person and you haven't spent time with your Bible, this actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. They said we're in 2 Corinthians, and so he opened up the Bible and he started at the beginning. He flipped until he came to 2 Chronicles. Easy mistake, right? Then they do this thing that, oh my goodness, this is a scary moment. Let's go around and read this text together. 2 Corinthians, and he's looking at it like, this is not the same as what I'm reading, but he thought maybe it's a different translation, so it came his turn to read, and he launches into the verse, 2 Chronicles, there in 2 Corinthians, lots of laughter. He says, my ninja Christian mode was revealed to be false in that moment. They saw me as a seeker then. Skip ahead a bit in the story, and uh, there's this moment where He's been doing life together with this group of people. Well, actually, I'll let his words speak for themselves. He says this, I felt like I was getting so much knowledge on the Bible. I was attending church, participating in a youth group, even going to a Bible study at the university, all the while getting flack from his parents. They did not trust what he was doing. They were scared with what he was doing. I'd gotten more than I bargained for when I first set out to attack Christianity. When my parents uh, would attack Christians and the Christian faith, I started keeping my mouth shut. 
Quickly, the people in my youth group became like family to me. We went on trips together, hung out together, and exchanged gifts at Christmas. When I wasn't spending time with people in the group, I was studying the Bible. The funniest thing happened in the middle of all of this. I started to really like Jesus. Skip ahead a little bit in the story. Jesus grabs a hold of his heart. He's baptized into faith. Rocks his world. Changes his world. This is what I think is so profound. He's a leader in a large Christian church. God has used him in some powerful ways to impact a whole bunch of people. And it starts, it starts with the power of invitation. And then it's grown in healthy community. And he's drawn deeper into faith with Jesus and living life together with a group of people. Here's the truth. Community shapes us. And we have the power to shape others in the context of community. Here's some quotes surrounding that topic. When I was a youth pastor, I used to say this all the time, show me your friends and I'll show you your, show you your future. Why? Because we're shaped by our community. Here's another way to say that. Who you're with today reflects who you will be tomorrow. Or here's maybe even another way to say that. Who you influence today could change the world tomorrow. I wonder if the initial invitation, this young high school kid who invites Caleb to join him in this Bible study, I wonder if he had any idea. There might be people in heaven who are able to trace their spiritual lineage through this pastor who has shared Jesus with them back to the power of invitation and the power of healthy community, growing him up into Christ-likeness. There's power in community. Peer pressure is a real thing. And I want to unapologetically apply some healthy peer pressure in this room today. At the end of the time, I'm going to challenge you to fill out the rest of those cards, and I'm going to invite you to take a step deeper into community because I think God could use it in a powerful way in your life today. Christians oftentimes understand the power of coming to church, and many of us do this every week. We worship together. We hear Bible teaching. We fellowship with one another. Here's the thing. What we do on a Sunday morning, this is great. We open up the Bible together. We worship together. We worship God. We're all sitting in rows facing this direction. We learn some stuff. We grow in some stuff. But I believe the real power of transformation happens when you take this and you walk it into a smaller group and you apply it and you hold one another accountable. During Bible times, the church was all about community. We have these uh, devices that we walk around in our pockets with today. We're all amateur uh, photographers, kind of playing at professional photography here. You know how this works. Maybe it's a girl's night out, you're at a restaurant together, or it's a couple's gathering and you're out at a restaurant. Maybe it's a small group from the church that's out celebrating something together, and somebody says, we need to take a picture and commemorate this moment. And you all kind of lean in and you smile and it's cheers and, and uh Snap, the picture goes. It's Instagram-worthy, so it gets shared to social media, and you celebrate, kind of commemorate a moment. I want to share with you today four pictures, four pictures of community. We find these in the Bible, and we find them in healthy community today. Here's the first picture. If you're taking notes, write this down. Picture, picture the Jewish nation. 
As we look at the Old Testament of your Bible, back in 2 Chronicles, what Caleb was reading on that first Bible study night, the nation of Israel in the Old Testament is one of the first pictures of community that we see. Here's what had happened. So the story we're going to look at here in a minute, it's about 1400 B.C. Moses has got a group of uh, ex-slaves gathered around the base of a mountain. The story begins about 600 years before that when God speaks to Abraham in the Great Commission of the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 12. And he says, here's the deal, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to make your name great. Eventually, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and what I'm going to do through you as we build this nation. That's the promise of the nation, but we really start to see it visualized. We start to see it realized about 1400 B.C. Moses, base of a mountain. The Ten Commandments are given. Genesis cha- or, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 20. If you don't know your Bible well, there's Genesis is the first uh, book of the Bible. Exodus, if you want to go there, is the second book of the Bible. Chapter 20, you see the Ten Commandments listed out there. Chapter 19, we see some language that speaks to the power of community. Look at this. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, if you, who is God speaking to here? Moses, kind of, beyond Moses. This is south of the Mason-Dixon line language here. This is y'all. When he says, if you obey, it's actually, it's even deeper than that, deeper south of the Mason-Dixon line. This is all y'all. If all y'all obey me in community fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you, all y'all, will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you, all y'all, will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Can you picture the Jewish nation? Can you picture the value of community? I'll tell you what they wouldn't have been able to picture. This iconic American image. Anybody recognize John Wayne? I think that's from True Grit. Is his name, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Is it Rooster? Is that the name of this character? This image of, if it is to be, it's up to me. Little lady, I'll fix your wagon. I'm going to make this happen all on my own. It's just a picture of masculine strength, broken but alone. The uh, Jewish culture would not have known what to do with that image. Actually, that image You take that ahead a few years into our American rugged individualism. Think about some of our big icons like uh, Daniel Boone. It's actually kind of a lie. Daniel Boone did not live his life alone. You couldn't live a life alone on the American frontier. You needed community around you. Davy Crockett is an example of that. Davy Crockett died in the Alamo with a group of people. He was in intense community. This is kind of baked, though, into our American psyche. If it is to be, it's up to me, so much so that we've got another image here that comes along, the Lone Ranger. Have you ever read the backstory on the story of the Lone Ranger? He wasn't really alone. We celebrate him as alone. But actually, he was one of these Texas Rangers. It was a band of brothers, and they all die except him. That's where the name comes from. He's alone because he's the last man standing. But he's really not standing alone because he's got Tonto. There's other uh, community around him. The Old Testament Jewish nation would not look at our rugged American individualism and say that's healthy. They wouldn't even have a category for that. 
Rather, they, they probably would look at another old-timey movie. They'd look at Robin Hood and say, that's what we're aiming at, a band of brotherhood, a band of merry men. Are you doing life together in community? The children of Israel wandered the desert for 40 years together. They obeyed God together. They disobeyed God together. And then they returned to God together. Together they were given the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, we just talked about that. These are God's instructions for living in community. God instructed them how to relate to each other and how to relate then to Him as a community. So much so that there's this uh, thing that's described for them as a part of their yearly ritual and rhythm. It's called the Day of Atonement. Once a year the whole nation is together together. And it's all y'all's sins. Not just my sin, not just your sin, not as an individual, but the whole community together would confess their sins. There's animal sacrifice to cover over their sins before a holy God. And then they take a goat. It's called the scapegoat. And the sins of not just the individuals, but the community. How have we, have all y'all, all of us all, how have we sinned against God this year? Goes on the scapegoat, and then that goat is tied up outside the community. Why? Because they didn't want the sins wandering back in amidst where they lived. It's community. I would argue that we're made for this. This is our communal heart's cry. Not just 1400 B.C., but eight or 900 years ago from today, actually. There's an old English poem, perhaps you know John Donne, that no man is an island poem. It goes like this. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. Skip ahead at the end. It says, and therefore never sin to know for whom the bell tolls. When you hear the bell ringing at the top of the church house, there's a bell ringing because somebody in our community has died Don't ask who it is ringing for because it tolls for, old English speak here for, all y'all. Because when one dies, a part of the community is gone. We all feel that loss. Community is a big deal. It's part of our heart's cry. First picture is the Jewish nation is a picture of community. Second thing I'd call you to picture is picture the Jerusalem church. As you skip ahead in the story that God tells through his Bible, picture the Jerusalem church. In Acts chapter 2, actually, we catch a glimpse of the church right after Jesus ascends to heaven. He told a small group, a community of believers, they were 12, one of them betrayed him. Now it's 11 getting ready to be replaced by another to make it a whole 12 again. But he told them to wait together in Jerusalem for the promise of his Father that's going to come. It's the Holy Spirit, and this is exactly what happens. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, who? A small group of people in one place. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I want to point out a couple of things here. First of all, you see that they're all together. This is a picture of community. These people are feeling incredible sorrow, incredible fear, all the range of emotions right here. How are they doing it? How are they processing it? How are they living it together? In community. And then all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's blessing lands on not just individuals, but the community. It's an all-in strategy. Community. Can you picture it in the early church, in the church in Jerusalem? 
If you go just a few verses later in chapter 2, check this out. Uh, This is after Peter stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 plus people are baptized into Christ. Catch this. This is what the early church did. This reads like the blueprint for the early church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is what the church does. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Then check this out. All the believers were together. Community. And had everything in common, community. They sold property and possessions and gave it to anybody who had need. They took care of one another in community. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And then they broke bread in their homes. So they're meeting together in large group assembly. And then they're also meeting together in smaller groups to process this, to do life together, to take care of one another. That's a very biblical model. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. No man is an island. Ask who the bell tolls for. Well, it tolls for all of us. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you just see this picture of community? Skip ahead two more chapters. Acts chapter 4, verse 32. All all of the believers were one in heart and mind. That's a beautiful sentence. One in heart and mind. Together in community. No one claimed uh, that their possessions were their own, but they shared everything that they had. If somebody had a need and you learned of it, and they were in your small group. You're doing life together. You sold something that you had so you could take care of their need. Isn't that a beautiful picture of community? Picture the Jerusalem church as a picture of community. Number three, check this out. Picture the New Testament church. Not just what happened in Jerusalem, but the church of Jesus Christ begins to spread. There's this old African proverb, I love this, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, though, go together. I would argue that the early movement of Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, says, I want you to go into all the world, and I want you to baptize folks, I want you to tell them about Jesus, I want you to observe what I've commanded you, I'm going to be with you as you do this, but go, spread the truth of this. I would argue that they go further, faster. And they do it because they do it together. So where in the world was the church meeting? How was the church functioning during that era as we seek to picture the New Testament church? Well, check this out. We've just talked about these passages, Acts chapter 2 and chapter 5, and even Acts chapter 8 before the church goes through some intense persecution. They're meeting house to house. You see that repeated over and over in the text. Skip ahead just a little bit. Last week I told you about Peter, the apostle Peter. On this rock I build my church, and the very gates of Hades will not prevail against her. That guy, he has this vision of a sheet, four corners being lowered from heaven, and there's unclean animals on it, and kill and eat is the language he hears, and because what I've made uh, clean, you don't treat as unclean. In other words, take the gospel message to people who are not Jewish, Peter. This is what I'm calling you to do. All this happens, I talked about a map last week. We pulled out our hand maps in Jerusalem. It would be right maybe here in the middle. Well, where he's at at this point is on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, the port city of Joppa. He has this vision. God speaks to him. 
The gospel message is getting ready to get onto ships. It's getting ready to get onto the backs of camels and go all over the known world of the time. Well, who, who does he go and debrief that conversation with? The church. Where's the church? What's well, meeting in a house? A guy named Cornelius. This is where the church is located in Acts chapter 10, 22. And then skip ahead just a couple of chapters. Uh, Peter is arrested. He's in jail, probably in the Antonia Fortress in the heart of Jerusalem next to the temple. When Peter leaves jail, when he leaves prison, where does he go? To the church. Where is the local body of believers that he seeks to find out? Well, they're hanging out in Mary's house. This is John, Mark's mama, Mary. That's where the church was. A small group hanging out in the house. Then uh, Paul. Paul gets on a ship and he goes across the ocean, Mediterranean Sea, and he lands in the city of Philippi. And there, there's a, an earthquake, Acts chapter 16, and the Philippian jailer, there's this radical transformation in accepting Jesus. Well, where does the church get planted? In the jailer's house. A small group of believers, a house church. Skip ahead over and over in the story of the church's meeting in Lydia's house and then T uh, Titus uh, Justius's house and then it's still meeting house to house and then the letters that keep getting written out to the churches that are already planted start referencing different house churches, different small groups, believers that are gathered together in small groups worshiping and praying and learning there. Priscilla and Aquila's house gets mentioned several times. I think they were in Ephesus. And, and where Paul is writing back from different places, he's referencing the believers that are meeting together at Priscilla and Aquila's house. They send you greeting as well. Over and over again, the church, it's meeting in a home. It's a house church, a small group of believers going further, faster. Then Paul starts writing encouragement in the Pauline epistles. This is how, as you live out life together in community, in smaller groups, this is what I'm calling you to. Here's the vision of a preferred future. This is what life should look like. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, together in community, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you agree with one another. There shouldn't be any divisions among you. You should be united. Let's look at another passage. That was 1 Corinthians. Let's look in 1 Peter. Finally, all of you, be like-minded in community. Be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. How about this letter that's getting written to a house church, a small group of believers? In Romans chapter 12, for just as uh, each of us has one body and many members, and these members uh, do not have all the same function, so in Christ, we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. That's an incredible picture of unity a small group, a band of brothers and sisters. Here's another passage in Hebrews chapter 10. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There's a reason why we gather together like this, to worship together, to open up Scripture together, to be challenged together. But encourage one another, and the more you do this as you see the day approaching. You need to gather some like-minded people around you and be in intense community together. That's a beautiful picture of a small group ministry. Romans chapter 12 says this, live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, writing to the early church in a home, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. And how about this one? Love. Love well. Just like God loved us, so should we love one another and live this out in the value of community in a smaller group where you know 
and are known. The first century church is a picture of community. This last picture that I want to share with you, this is a challenge. It's a challenge to you, and it's a challenge to me. It's a challenge to us. Here it is. Picture yourself at Venture. Actually, that's how I wrote it when I first wrote that line a couple of weeks ago. And then I got to looking at that, scratching my head. No. No, don't picture yourself at Venture. Picture yourself in Venture. You belong to a larger collective. Church is not, we don't just come to church and be here and all face the same direction for a few minutes together. No, no, no. Be in it. Be of it. You're a part of a larger body. Here's a way to say that. We, we don't go to church. No, 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 no. Rather, we participate in church. This isn't grammatically correct, but you could say it this way. We be the church. We live this thing out. And one of the best ways to do this, this is a strong statement, but I believe it, that life change happens best in the context of a smaller group. I mean, you might hear truth spoken today, but you're going to process that better. You're going to get pushback better. You're going to be challenged, and you're going to hold one another accountable better inside the context of a smaller group. I talked about pictures just a bit ago, how we take a picture to commemorate a moment in community. When I was a kid, we weren't walking around with these. Some of you maybe can relate to this. You'd show up on picture day at school. Mom had wet or whatever and pushed the cowlick over. I had, all, I had curly hair. I had cowlicks everywhere. And, you, you know, you sit down for the picture, and it's one, two, three, and I was blinking. Well, our kids are spoiled. Like, they can get just the right picture, just the right angle with their friends. Everybody smiling. No, I don't like that. Let's take that one again. Not on picture day. Thanks, brace face. You get to take this picture where you were eyes closed in the middle of a blink, and we're going to blow it up, and you can distribute this to all of your friends. We're going to make 100 copies of this. That's how it worked when I was a kid. There's a thing called a proofing process. Maybe you know about this if you've ever sat for a professional picture. You get the proofs, and then you proof them. Small groups, well, there are some proofs of small groups, of healthy small groups. Let me throw a few of them at you right now. Here's a proof. Small groups are formed intentionally. This happens in the New Testament. Luke chapter 5, Jesus is forming a small group of disciples. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Join me. There's intentionality in this. I'm asking you to leave this life behind, take a risk, and join me in this thing that I'm doing. And it changed his life. And arguably, it changed a lot of other people's lives as well. Small groups as a form of healthy community don't happen by accident. There's some level of intentionality. So take a risk. Take a chance. Risk a little for potentially big reward. Here's another one. Small groups break down barriers. They do. Jesus gathered together a diverse group of people. Here, here's how he did it. Mark chapter 2, verse 16. And the scribes of the, Pharise of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners, 
That's how they viewed him. And tax collectors said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, because the kingdom of God is bigger than you think it is. And this is for everyone. And how do we reach beyond our own socioeconomic barriers and our own kind of like-attract, like-human-nature strategies, and how do we reach out? This happens well oftentimes within the context of a smaller group when you really get to see somebody for who they are and spend life together with somebody for who God has made them to be. Small groups are opportunities to grow. You grow in small groups. Matthew chapter 5, check this out. Verse 1 says this. See, in the crowds he went up to the mountains and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. He's still doing that today through the scriptures. And oftentimes we get to grow in powerful ways when we open them up together in the context of smaller groups. Here you go. Small groups are opportunities to care. Oh my goodness, pastoral needs get met when we know about them. And when you're doing life together with a group of people and you know what one another are going through. Check this out, Acts chapter 4. All the believers were in one heart and mind. This is that passage that we looked at. They're selling stuff to care for one another. Why? Because pastoral needs are getting shared. And there's an opportunity to care inside of small groups. I'll never forget years ago, we had a kind of a tragedy happen in our family. My, my sister-in-law got sick and she was in the hospital. She was here visiting us and... It was bad. I mean, it was bad. Like, sepsis set in, and we were really, really worried for her and spending a lot of time at the hospital. In the middle of all that craziness, we had, you know how this happens when you have little kids, somebody at school or preschool or whatever, there's a lice scare, and oh, now we need to turn our house upside down. It's every mom's worst nightmare when this happens. Well, we're kind of doing, we're busy. Like, we've got a lot going on, and this kind of scare was happening in our home. Our small group at the time, while we were gone, we had already learned how to do this because we had served together as a group at a local homeless shelter. We had learned the strategies. There were bed bugs. There was an infestation of bed bugs in this, and we had learned how to take care of those and to care for those needs because we were serving together. Well, then this happened in our family, and while we were gone, they came in and cleaned our house top to bottom, bagged up the clothes that needed. You know how this works. When there's a lice scare, you need to bag some stuff up and quarantine it, and they did all of that for us, our small group. Do you have that kind of intense community around you? that you can lean on in those moments, those crazy moments where life just plain happens sometimes. Small groups provide a deep breath. Jesus challenged them with this. The small group that he was leading, it said, uh, he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Sometimes small groups simply become that strategy for us. Small groups, how about this? Reach beyond their small group. Jesus says this when he called the 12 together, Mark chapter 6, he began to send them out two by two, gave them authority over unclean spirits. In other words, take this message that we've been incubating together as a small group because there are people out there who desperately need the truth that you have to share. And so he took a small group, made them smaller, and sent them out, and then they could come back and debrief it in the context of their small group. I'm so excited about this fall. I'm so excited about the opportunity that we're going to have here in just a few weeks. We're going to take a journey, all of us, on the same page at the same time. We're going to raise the evangelism temperature of our church. 
We're calling it our one life spiritual growth journey. One life. Why? Because you have one life to invest. You better invest it wisely. So who's one life that you can reach out and impact? Who's one life inside of your sphere of influence who may be far from God, and how, how can we encourage one another toward that and provide some subtle accountability toward that mission that God has called us on? So we're going to invite everyone that calls our church, their church home, to get into a small group. We're going to talk about these things on a Sunday morning, and then you're going to process them. You're going to do some individual processing. We're going to equip you with a journal and you're going to do some processing together in your small group. So maybe you're not in a small group. Well, pull that card out right now, will you? That card that we started the day with, go ahead and pull that out. I want to wrap up our time by simply walking through how we're going to fill this out. Can I challenge you? Take advantage of an opportunity. We started talking about the story of Caleb and how God used intense community to bring him to himself and how God is still using him in some powerful ways. You never know what might get birthed in your heart inside the context of a small group that God might use for some powerful ways to impact his kingdom forever. And he might choose to use you toward that end. So would you take a risk? Would you say, yeah, I can do this. 